if you know if you know Jewish history, uh, um, you know Jewish literary history. That's how we divide it up, as it is presented in the Yigeret Rav So, more or less, the earliest evidence that we have for the same is in the Mishnah, right? The Mishnah you remember was uh, edited and finalized somehow by Rabbi Huda Nasi around the year two hundred and fifty CE, right? So that means the Mishnah itself, <coughs> the Mishnah itself goes back a lot further, right? And that's the end of the Mishnah. But it started uh, BCE, right? Uh, sometime, uh, you know, Shimon HaTzadik is the first one mentioned in the Mishnah, in Pirkei Avot, as being the carrier, the bearer of tradition. Now, Shimon HaTzadik, according to the... Uh, to the Gemara met Alexander the Great when he came to to Eretz Israel, and that was I was like this date three thirty three. It's like an easy date to remember. I'm not sure exactly what happened on three thirty three, but it had something to do with Alexander the Great. I just tell you that there's this big spread uh, from the beginning of the Mishnah until Rabbi Huda Hanasi. Now, before the beginning of the, the Tana'idic, what you call the Tana'idic period, um, all of the mitzvot in the Torah about Pesach existed. And certainly the Beit HaVikdash was the focus of the Korban Pesach and the other mitzvot that are connected to the Korban Pesach. But we don't have any information about how they did it exactly in Bayadri Shon, what exactly happened. So our information starts from the period of the Tanaim, then the Amoraim, that's the Gemara, right? The Gemara, the Bavli, the Bavli, or the Yushalmi, earlier, the Bavli about 500. So another 250 years, and then in Bavel, there was the period that we called the Gaonim, the Gaonim. Gaonim were Roshei Yeshiva, of the large Yeshivot in Bavel, right? That's, uh, but the Gaonim, the Gaonim period goes till about, somehow, till a thousand, right? So we'll go from 500 to a thousand. The Gaonic period, we have Sidurim from the Gaonic period, Sidurim, Rabbi Amram Gaon, Sadia Gaon. And in those Sidurim, there are also Haggadot. And then the Rishonim, right? For us, for this, uh, what we're talking about there, the important uh, personality, the important personality, of course, is the Rama, <coughs> who, interestingly enough, besides this rendition of the Haggadah, besides his rendition of the Haggadah that, that appears in his Sefer Halakha, under the general title of Hilchot Chameitzu Matzah, the Rambam also published his Haggadah in the Yad HaChazaka, right, in this halachic work, where he has already told us how you do the Seder, right, which includes a lot of the elements of <coughs> of uh, Seder, the Rambam uh, nevertheless included the Nusach of the Haggadah in this book. So if you want to know how the Rambam's Haggadah looked like, what it looked like, what it contained, you just go to Hilchot Chameitzu Matzah, go to the end of it, and right after that you should have the Haggadah. Haggadah Shal Pesach of the Rambam. Now after the Rambam, 
after the Rambam, you know, as it is with books, until printing, uh, books were a little less uh, definitive in terms of their content. You could add something, you could add, uh, so that none of these early Haggadot, none of these early Haggadot have Chadgadya in it, believe it or not. I mean, there are people who think that Chadgadya is the central theme of um, <laughs> Pesach, even though no one understands really what it's about, but everybody enjoys it, appreciates it, or, or something like that, Echad Biyodeya, or whatever it was that you could sing a nice Kalbach tune to. Uh, all of that is, all of that is good, but that's not really the Haggadah. And that stopped, uh, more or less, with the advent of printing. So that today, it would be very hard to add anything to the Haggadah. You would be immediately uh, determined to be a heretic if you would add something to the Haggadah. But you have to understand that it's printing that did that. Printing made the Haggadah into the uh, perfect text. This did not exist before printing, but things were added to the Haggadah, like Nirzah, like all those those paragraphs. Most of the rest of the Haggadah already appears in these earlier Haggadah. So that even though we don't know what happened between Matan Torah, how they did it from Matan Torah until... Uh, Churban Bayit Rishon say, but our Haggadah has a pretty long history. If you start from the Mishnah until the end of the period of the Rishonim, <coughs> which is sort of Rav Yosef Karo, Rav Yosef Karo in the 16th century, right? Remember Rav Yosef Karo? He was kicked out of, as a child, he was kicked out of Spain with the Inquisition, right? So it's easy to remember. Because everybody remembers 1492, right? That's a that's a that's like a, a good date. So Rabbi Yosef Carroll went from uh, Spain as a child and ended up in Sfat, where he made an indelible impression on Jewish history and the Jewish people. I mean, Rabbi Yosef Carroll wrote the Shulchan Aruch, which is... Uh, which is accepted to this day, even though it is commented upon liberally by many commentators, it still forms the basis of our halachic positions. That was that was Rabbi Yosef Karoso. <coughs> that was in the 16th century, right? The uh, the 16th century is in Kunabula, right? Is that right? I think it's the 16th century, 1500s. What? It's the last 15 years of the 15th century. Is, is what? Is it Kanabula? The last 15 years of the 15th century. So 1492, but it's the 15th century, right? That all the books, all the books that were printed in that century, like were printed for the first time. And, and that changed everything, so to speak. If you ever like a romantic, notion of how things happen in the world. It was probably not like that. It was probably the people who tried to do something else were killed by the people who had the printing presses or, or something like that. But, uh, I actually did research on Inkarabi. What, what? I see this, this a research back at MIT on Inkarabi trying to understand what metals Gutenberg used. Why do you want to know that? I didn't, but the history of now, science. Why would anybody want to know that? The history that? of science. 
Well, I mean, let me let me guess. He used metals that he had access to. We, we actually scraped letters off this uh, book. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a it's a it's a shiva, you know. Uh, uh, a lot of ink is metal based, black ink. So if you have an old Sefer Torah, I'm not making a suggestion, but if you have a really old Sefer Torah, uh, what happens is the black uh, either jumps off, you know, the, the letters jump off of the, of the cloth if it, the cloth is not so absorbent, or it gets worn down and the, the metal part of the ink remains so that the letters turn red. That, that's a shyla because you're supposed to it's supposed to be black but if it was black and then it just became red it may be that that's also an acceptable there are, there are posts who say that's, uh, that's acceptable however today if you find a safer Torah from Russia or someplace in Europe you bring it to Eretz Yisrael they try to fix it and they try to paint over the red with black <coughs> you couldn't do that with the mezuzah Right, you understand that a mezuzah has to be written properly. It can't be fixed. Only a sefer Torah can be fixed. I mean, this is like an interesting halachic position, but uh, but that's the way it is. There's very little that you could do to fix a mezuzah that was written improperly, right? Yeah, and you have to write it in order. The sefer Torah, a sefer Torah, even <coughs> if, it's, if there are mistakes in it. Most of the mistakes can be fixed. It's just that it's a it's an effort, but you can do it. So what I was trying to say was that the the haggadah that we know, right, our haggadah, which could be like you could say Manashevitz's haggadah, is really a very old, ongoing document that we uh, that we use on Pesach. Everybody uses it on Pesach. Here, the Rambam in the seventh parak of Ilchot. Chameitzu Matzah tries to analyze and describe to us what the mitzvot <coughs> connected to the mitzvah of Sipu Yisiyad Mitzrayim are. So let's start. Mitzvah Tasei Shel Torah Yisafer Benisim Benifla'ot Shilasul Avotenu Mitzrayim Now I think that this is not an easy statement to appreciate. The Rambam says that the story that we tell on the night of Pesach is about the Nisim V'Niflaot, the miracles that were wrought to our forefathers in Egypt. Now you know that the Rambam, the Rambam did not think that Nisim V'Niflaot were a good source of faith. Because the, the, Rambam, the Rambam was impressed, uh, now I'm going to say something that just, you know, doesn't, doesn't mean anything. But the Rambam was impressed by Paro. Paro withstood the, mitz- the, the miracles of Mitzrayim. He never gave in. He chased after the Jews when they finally left Mitzrayim. He ran after them into the, you know, the dry land of Yamsuf. And why? why? Where did he get this strength from, Paro? So we've already mentioned it several times. And Paro, <coughs> Paro said, it's a miracle. But I don't know if it's your God, if it's some other God, if, there's, if there isn't a magician someplace in the world who can duplicate that miracle, which would then devalue it. So the Rambam says, the Rambam said, which is another section in the, in, in the Yad HaKazakah, 
The Rambam says that people did not believe in Moshe Rabbeinu because of the miracles that he did. It was not, you know, it, their faith in him was not miracle-based, but their faith in him was based on the fact that he was successful, that he actually got them out of Mitzrayim, that he brought them to Har Sinai. And so why would the Rambam say that what we're supposed to do on the night of, Su- of Pesach is talk about Nisim and Niflaot? But this, this question is compounded by the fact that if you remember the Haggadah, if you think about it, there's very little mention in the Haggadah of Nisim v'Niflaot. Yes, it's true. We say, Dam we stick our finger in the wine and we drop the, the, the drops of wine on, the, on a plate or, or whatever it is, right? Today, everything's covered in plastic. But, but, but that's what we do. But that's not really an assessment of the Nisim v'Niflaot. It's not a discussion of that. We don't try to explain which are greater and which are lesser, <coughs> which are more impressive and which are less impressive. We don't do any of that. We don't do any of that. So to say that, that we, we have to l'saper b'nisim v'niflaot demands an interpretation. I have, to, I have to understand what the Rambam was talking about because in this case, if I look in the Rambam's Haggadah, right, remember I told you the Rambam's Haggadah is printed after this chapter, right? You just could look for it. If we look at the Rambam's Haggadah, it's very much like our Haggadah. And it does not contain uh, an excessive discussion of the Simmoniflaut. And yes, here it is, right here. And the Rambam says, we know the rule is whenever the Rambam says there's mitzvah seishala Torah, there's a positive commandment in the Torah that means that there's a, there's a pasuk. It has to come from a pasuk. That was the Rambam's, the Rambam's system. And he said, Shinemar, Zachor, the Yom so Zachor, the word Zachor means to announce, to make a statement, like Zachor on Shabbat is about Kiddush. <coughs> Every Friday night we make Kiddush. What is Kiddush? <coughs> what is it that we accomplish when we say Kiddush? It's like standing up and saying, now it's Shabbat. It was, it's not enough that the calendar says it's Shabbat. We, each of us, have an obligation to say that it is Shabbat. Now, the halacha says that one person can say Kiddush, and, and that's enough for a group that's standing around the table. But everybody, in fact, is saying this Kiddush, saying now it is Shabbat. Similarly, on the night of Pesach, you have to say, now it is, now it is Pesach. That's what he says. Then, uh, uh Okay. Then the Rambam says, there's another pasuk of great importance in the third line. The Rambam says, the Rambam says, Binayin shebelech hamisha asar, Talmud lomar, Vigadeta lebincha vayom ahulei mor. Vigadeta lebincha. Somehow, this is not just what it says, Zachor, it's not just you have to announce it, that you have to say that it's Pesach. But you have to say it in this manner, in the Vigadat Bincha manner, and that's what really the Haggadah spends a lot of time assessing. If you remember, <coughs> before we go on to the Rambam, we go on to the Rambam, you remember that, that the, 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 uh, the <coughs> Haggadah, based on the Midrash, makes the most amazing comment 
about this mitzvah v'gavda lebincha, and that is that not all the sons are exactly the same, but they are different one from the other. In the Midrash, they call them Chacham, Rasha, Tam, Sheinoyadelish, Ol. You remember those those sons? So this, I, this to me is like like absolutely amazing, because when the Torah says Vishinantem Levanecha, Shinantem Levanecha, you should teach your children. You have an obligation to teach your children Torah. Right, that's the pasuk Vishinantem. It doesn't say go to graduate school and education to find out how to deal with different kinds of kids and different kinds of problems. It doesn't say that. Because Vishinanta Lurenecha, I mean, we could explain it. Vishinanta Lurenecha is a general, all-encompassing all rule. And each of us, we have to figure out how to do it. The Torah doesn't tell us how to be the teachers of our own children. But you know, I mean, everybody, everybody knows that the parents are, whether they like it or not, are the primary teachers of their children. And the children are most affected by the things that the teen, that their parents teach them, and even they don't teach them. I mean, they just can't help it. It's, it's just all there, right? The ultimate teacher, right? If you would try to compare teachers in school and what they could accomplish, and parents at home and what they could accomplish, any reasonable person would close the schools. Because the schools in the, in the large picture of things are totally irrelevant. I mean, the most you could do in a school is learn things or about things, but you could never learn how to be. And that's what the parents are able to teach. The parents would also be able to teach other things as well. But because of whatever, we, we avoid that obligation. We send our children to school. And even though there is a movement today uh, called homeschooling, I think, it's some kind of a movement... I'm not sure they do such a great job, but I'm not sure that Chabad does such a great job, even though Chabad realizes the fact that they don't, you know, if you send a, if you send a shaliach to Mongolia, the chances that they're going to find a Jewish day school are slim, right? So what Chabad does is they have a, an online school, sort of. They, you, you appoint the mother, the teacher, and you send her material for grades... One to eight, K to one to eight. So you know Chabad, it's like very good, but not really as good as it could be or should be or might be or would be. That's the that's their nature because they're too busy conquering the world to be uh, to be involved with these like these little details. But <coughs> they realize they realize that homeschooling could work if it was properly. In, you know, applied to a particular family. Of course, uh, if you have to work or if you have to go out or if you have a career, then all of that is has to be put aside. But in theory, in theory, uh, it'll work. So that Rishinantem Libanecha is a charge. Educate your children. Now make sure they are educated. But Vigadatel Libincha the is about a specific piece of information. It's about Yitziat Mitzrayim. It's not Talmud Torah. It's about Yitziat Mitzrayim. And that specific information in order to be imparted to your children 
<coughs> in order to get that into the into the, the the children, you have to recognize your children. You have to recognize children. And so the 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 the, uh, the medrash teaches us. Well, you know, if if, if, the, if the son is a chacham, yeah, it means son daughter. It's all the, it's all the same because we know that women are equally obliged in the mitzvot of the seder. And Leil Pesach has men, but you know, because Hebrew is the way it is, you have to always make a choice. You have to either talk about Ben or Bat. You can't talk about, there's no neuter child. <coughs> Neutral child. So, Vigadatelabinchabiz, you have to assess your child. Who is that child? Is he a Chacham? Is he perhaps a Rasha? And I once said, it occurred to me, you know, that if you look carefully at yourself, just look at, first think about yourself before you think about your children. So maybe you say, what do you find when you look at yourself? A chacham? Of course. A rasha? A little bit. Right? A tam? Sometimes. And she know your daily show, you know, I'm just too tired to, to deal with whatever comes up. So once you recognize that all of these possibilities are part of my DNA, then I can deal with it, that I understand that it's just my children picking out, picking and choosing things about their parents that <coughs> that gives me incentive to teach them properly. So that the primary pasuk for the way in which I do the Seder Pesach is vigadat alebincha. And Vigadat Bincha, unlike the Nisim and Niflaot, is discussed at great length in the Haggadah. And it recognizes the fact that Vigadat Bincha demands an effort. It demands an effort on the part of the teacher. The teacher has to recognize the student and then give him what he needs in order to learn this, uh, this business of the Seder Pesach, right? Even though the Pasuk says, if there are no children there, everybody has to tell, even Chachamim Gidolim, in other words, knowledge of the story is not sufficient. A Chacham can't say, I know it all about Peh, right? I know it by heart. Why should I spend time? I'll just go and... And eat the, the food. I mean, what do I have to spend time on the on the seder? No, no. The garet bincha doesn't mean exclusive. Only if there's a bincha, but everybody has to learn. Everybody has to learn. So, what does that mean to me? It means everybody's in the category of bincha. Everybody is bincha. So sometimes you have to talk to yourself. Sometimes you have to explain it to yourself. Sometimes you have to talk about who you are to yourself in order to be able to talk about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. But that's the, that's Vigadat al-Bincha. That's Vigadat al-Bincha. If there's a son, you do it that way. But if there's no son, you understand that the, the, uh, the psychological possibilities exist within ourselves. Each one of us is that way. <laughs> Ma'arich, you know, was the Rambam saying? That the Nusach of the Haggadah is only a starter. It's a way you get into it. It's a way you cover the minimum amount of material and information. But what should you really, what proves that you're doing it? 
You're inventive, you're creative, you're, you're thinking, you're thoughtful, there's something happening. If none of that is happening, it's likely that you're not really doing the mitzvah of Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim. Three, mitzvah lo di'elebanim, he goes back to Virat Yitzvah, what does that mean? We got it So the Rambam says, That's what it says in the Mishnah. But this was translated by Chazal into the four different sons. And of course, you know, everybody has a different explanation of what it means to be a Chacham and what it means to be a Rasha. And that's the truth. These labels are very difficult. You know that, that if you ever met anybody with a psychological problem of any kind or other, so you know, so there's the DSM, you know, they like give you a label. You're a this or you're a that. And then well, forever you go for an interview for a job and say, well, what are you? What page are you in the DSM? Finished. You're, you're, you, you've had it. But these definitions or this attempt to de- define the spiritual content of a person, it's very difficult, very difficult to analyze it, very difficult to convey it, and it's very difficult to react to it. All of these things are very difficult, as we know. So, so, so you have to be able to, to, to make the conversation meaningful. After all, we see now that what is the story of, of what is the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim about? It's about Chayrut, it's about freedom, it's about something changed, right? You have to understand that we were once in a certain state of Avdut, and what is Avdut? Avdut, you know, means slavery. Slavery is when you can't make your own decision. When you can't, where, where, I mean, it's like being in the army to a certain extent. <coughs> you get up in the morning and the soldier tells you what you're supposed to do all day long. What? No, no, in Yeshiva, the somebody tells you what you do all day long, but then you don't do it. <laughs> well, the army, they punish you if you don't do it. That's a lot, lot that's a difference. So, so the, <coughs> so, Pesach was the time when we passed from Abdut to Chayrut. Abdut means, as I say, I can't make a decision. And Chayrut is when I must make a decision, when it's entirely up to me. I have no choice about making a decision. So that, that is uh, uh, what the, the, Rab, the Rabbam says. The Rabbam says, V'alayla hazeh, Kadatana HaKadosh Bohu, God redeemed us in this night, V'yatzalo lechayrut. We went out into freedom. V'maya ben gadol v'chacham lo so here again he mentions Nisim, but, but it's not in the Haggadah. It's not in the Haggadah, this talk about Nisim. I mean, what is it you have to mention Nisim for? If the Ramam is the one who is skeptical about the value of Nisim as a religious force or as a spiritualizing enterprise. Dalit. Now it's not true, as uh, as uh, we often think that uh, we often think that manishtana is the kind of uh, purview of the kids from the age of three to six or something, and how cute is it that? Uh, 
little Moishi can sing the Manishtana. Well, okay, it's cute. And I realize that cute is a value in our society, and we have to let little Moishi do it. But the halacha is, the halacha is that there's a method. There's a method of clarifying things. There's a method of going into them more deeply. And that method is called Talmud. Gemara. And in the Gemara, in the Gemara, the way you do it is you ask a question, you try to get an answer. And if you can't get an answer, you try to fiddle with the question a little bit and change it around so that you will get an answer. And you can't always get an answer, but what you do get is greater clarity, more profundity. And those that when the Rambam says, the Rambam says based on the Mishnah again and the Gemara that who asked the question? The son. What if there's no son? So the mother. What if there's no mother? So the father. What if the guy's a big Talmud? It doesn't matter. You have to ask the question anyway. Manishtana becomes part of the Nusach of the, of the Seder. It's not just a way of enticing a child to participate. Because what question could a child ask? But an adult, you'd imagine a child says, Manishtana alayla azem, kol alaylot, child. So that's what that's what the child says. Then the child looks around and says, How did I do? And everybody claps and is very happy, etc. But an adult, an adult who asks the question says, How come it's not enough to eat a matzah as the Jews ate when they left Mitzrayim? Why do I also have to destroy the chametz? Now that is a good question. It's the same question. But the child probably couldn't ask it. Whereas the Talmud Chacham, who's making a Seder by himself for whatever reason, he could ask that question. And he might even be able to answer it. By being able to get so, so you see that the, that the, the development of the Seder was done in a way to raise the level of the questions and the answers. What's questions and answers, which I could say is equal to Talmud Torah. That's how we do it. When we learn Torah, we don't just read a list of do's and don'ts. That's not what Torah is. Torah is like entering into the fray, entering into the discussion, finding out with greater clarity what things might mean. And that's why they say that people learn Gemara make good lawyers, right? Because that's what good lawyers do. So that the Rambam, the Rambam encourages us. He says, I mean, of course, I, I keep saying the Rambam, it's in the Mishnah and in the Gemara, right? It's all this idea that the Sipuri Yitziat Mitzrayim is, is a creative effort. It's something that you have to gain clarity in. It's not the same this year as it was last year. Because it's just like learning the Daf Gemara. It's not the same. It's not the same the next time you learn it as the last time you learned it. It gets, on the one hand, it's easier. On the other hand, you can dig deeper. You can find more to think about. You can find more to say about. This is true about most things. I'm not you know, telling you that only that Gemara is the only thing. But if you would compare right, what uh, college learning... Even in the sciences, uh, in the sciences, more than in literature, I suppose, they have textbooks, 
You know the textbook is? It always has the right information right on that page. And it tells you in gray, this might be a little more difficult for you, skip it until you get chapter 6. Right? That's called textbook learning. It's all there. It's all there. You can't go astray. Whereas Talmud learning, you have to create the text. You, you, you have to, I mean, uh, it, it doesn't, it might make no sense at all at first. It's not like a textbook which, whose, whose design is to get you through it to the end of the textbook and to get you through that test. That's what a textbook is and it does a great job. But hmm. a Talmud is not a textbook. A Talmud is a mystery. Right? So what does this mean? And what does that mean? And what is it talking about? And why is this compared to that? And how is it possible? That's Talmud. That's Talmud. So that the Seder night is a night of Talmud. It's a night of Talmud. And we know that, again, if you're talking about attitude and how you approach something. How you do, so each of us, you know, there's a Ben Chacham and there's a Ben Rashad, there's a Ben Sheinoyo Dele Shindli Shol. It's all inside of us. It's all inside of us, every one of us. So even the one who is alone, the great scholar who is alone, legitimately asks the four questions and represents these four, these four sons. Okay. In other words, you have to encourage them. It's not true that everybody just asks questions. Sometimes, and that's the, 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 the job of the teacher, I think, <coughs> to encourage the students to ask the question. I mean, you know, students are kind of, think it's, it'll all come out somehow. Uh, you know, just tell me, tell me what the answer is, and then I'll write it on the test. But that's not what we do when we learn Gemara, right? Hey, you do all kinds of things that might encourage the children to ask. Today, uh, you have to be a scholar to know what to ask. Like, for example, what, what do we do? We, we do Kaddish. We say Kaddish, right? Then we do Urchatz. And karpas. So what, what is that? Urchatz and karpas. You know that the halacha is? The halacha is that to wash the fruit. But we, we don't do that for some reason. It's not important. But usually, usually after Kiddush, we watch Nitilat Yadayim and then eat bread. Isn't that how it usually is? I mean, all the Shabbatot that I participated in. That's how it is. So you first you make kiddush, then you wash, then you eat bread. Now what do we do? We make kiddush, then we wash without a bracha. That's itself pretty strange. Then we eat karpas, which for us is a piece of potato. And then we start talking about the Haggadah. Now that's really odd. So the Rambam says, you know why we do that? We do that so people will say, how come you do that? It's like, that's really odd. But of course, since everybody's used to Pesach, and it's what we do every Pesach, it turns out we, everybody thinks, oh, we do it because it's Pesach. Like you don't have to, but really what we would like to do is encourage the people around the table to wonder, 
about what's happening. And then the question becomes more interesting, and the answer could be much more interesting. That's what the Rambam says. That you you do things like that, or you give them bisli, get out bisli or chocolate. Bisli is chavis? Bisli. Kidney or eaters. Oh, kidney or Too bad. <laughs> well, I don't like bisli anyway. So, so, uh, what? <coughs> so is you, you take, you take these Swiss chocolate bars with the super duper hechsher on them, and you give it out to the kids, the kids say, what's happened? Every night my mother tells me I shouldn't eat snacks while I'm eating dinner because I won't be able to eat. And all of a sudden they're giving me chocolate bars. Oh, it's a real question of today. Children are not affected by small gifts. <laughs> if you give them a stock portfolio or something, <laughs> they, they wonder about it, like what happened, but you know, small gifts, there's that song, right, there's that song. Anyway, so that's what it is, Vav, Vav, this is one of the, uh, one of the things uh, that are very important, the Rambam says, quoting the Mishnah again, in other words, the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim is not really the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. It's the story that ends with Yitziat Mitzrayim. But it doesn't begin there. I mean, it's, it's, it, there's a sensitivity here that is remarkable. I think, I think because there is no story that just has an ending. Everything comes from somewhere. Right? So when you tell the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, you can't really tell it correctly unless you also can tell why we were there, what we were doing there, and why is it important for Jewish history to know that Am Yisrael was in Mitzrayim and enslaved in Mitzrayim. What's important about that? So the Mishnah calls that Matchil Begnut Misayim Bishvach. You start with a kind of a negative, you speak negatively about B'nai Yisrael, and then you end up with praise of B'nai Yisrael. Uh, that Mishnah, that Mishnah is a machloket in the Gemara in, in Psachim. <coughs> it is a machloket Rav and Shmuel, two great Emoraim, right? Two great Emoraim, first generation. The first generation of Emoraim, Rav and Shmuel. One says, that matchil bignut means bitchila. You start from bitchila of de avodah zara ayu avoteinu. You start the story of Pesach from Terach. Right? And the other says, avadim hayinu leparo b'mitzrayim. And both of these stories are included in Haggadah, in every Haggadah. Even though in the Gemara it's a machloket. Right? Rab says this and Shmuel said that. And you could think... That, that when you have a machloket, the resolution of the machloket is going to be that one is going to win. But no, in this case, both stories appear. And so the, the, the Mishnah and the Gemara and the Haggadah unabashedly say, this is a difficult story to tell. It's difficult to grab onto it. Like, where does it start? Where does the story start? Is it the story of the uh, uh, obviation somehow to obviate the Avodazarah from our world I mean, we came from a world which was totally involved in Avodazarah 
And we had to recreate that world so that we would be worthy of going to Har Sinai and getting the Torah. And so we did it. And who helped us do it? Mitzrayim. The, the, the time spent in Mitzrayim, in which we were able to deny our roots in Avodah Alternatively, there is the promise that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made to Abraham Avinu. Right? In the 12th parak, and then again in the 15th parak of Bereshit, <coughs> HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Abraham Avinu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Abraham Avinu, your children, your grandchildren, they're going to be slaves in Mitzrayim for 400 years. A promise. A promise that God made to Abraham Avinu. So if it's a promise that God made to Abraham Avinu, it's clearly not, it's not a punishment. I mean, this, I mean how could, why would God promise Abraham Avinu to punish his children who hadn't really done anything that was worthy of such a punishment? But if God promises Abraham Avinu that his children will be slaves in Mitzrayim, it must be for their good. There's something about slavery in Mitzrayim that is going to create the Jewish people and make them worthy of getting the Torah. So he's saying, what's the story? What's the story that we're supposed to tell that? First he said, Then he said, you have to tell it to the right son. You have to know who you're talking to. Then he said, you have to encourage this debate, questions and answers. This is all the Rambam. And finally the Rambam says, There's a beginning to the story. Where's the beginning of the story? Well, it's Machloka. It's either here or it's there. Who's right? Everybody's right. Everybody's right. Rav and Shmuel are not having a machloket. They're just telling us that there are two different stories that could be told, should be told, and will be told. <coughs> so we say, but we were saved from that. Idolatry is very attractive. It's very, very enticing. Because it supports the notion that there might be more than one God, which seems to be something that people find a more comfortable notion than the idea that there's only one God, at least in the early days in history. It was, it was a, a, a problem, it was always a problem. The Rambam says, in the beginning of the Chota Vodazara, the Rambam says, well, how did people become idolaters? After all, Adam Arishon and Chava and uh, their children... They were all talking to God. I mean, in the, in the Chumash, right? They were all talking to God. They were all going around in Gan Eden, benefiting from the bounty. So how did they become idolaters? How did, uh, so the Rambam says that they, that they made this tremendous mistake. It was a tremendous mistake, meaning that it was uncorrectable. You couldn't fix it. You couldn't fix the mistake. What was the mistake? They said, if God created the sun and the moon and the stars and gave them a certain amount of power and authority in the world, right? The sun is responsible for life. And the moon is responsible for the tides, right? Remember the moon? There's a moon. (laughs) There's that moon. So obviously, if God gave this power to the sun, to the moons, and to the stars, they also thought about constellations and what it meant and moving around in heaven. So it must be that God wants us to serve those powers. Because if that were not the case, God would not have empowered them. And and it's compared to the Mishnah Lamelech. Remember Haman? Remember Haman? Haman was one of the bad guys. 
So Haman wanted people to bow down to him. Why did he want them to bow down to him? Because he was almost the king. And people bowed down to the king. So why not bow down to almost the king? That's Haman's, Haman's idea. So idolatry is based on that idea that you serve God. But God wants you also to serve the sun and the moon and the stars. And because of that, because of that, it was very difficult to uproot, to uproot uh, uh, idolatry. You had to get the people to the point where they understood that power and divinity is not the same thing. Yes, there are powers in the world. There are things that affect us all the time. There are storms, there's rain, there's snow, there's heat, there's cold. All of these powers, sometimes we find that we, we're standing merciful, merciful, less this, something like that. We are unable to deal with those powers. And therefore, it would seem to us that we should try to appease them and give them their due. And that this is what God would want. I mean, that's the trick here. That's the part that the Rambam said is the unfixable mistake. That you think you're representing God when you serve many gods. From that idolatry. Uh, uh, so that B'nai Israel had to somehow conclude at the same time that Paro was concluding. And Paro is an important person in the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Paro concluded that there are all sorts of powers in the world, and even if he, Paro, did not have access to the greater power, that doesn't mean that it didn't exist, and that you couldn't find it if you tried. And you remember Balak ben Sipor Melech Moab, right? What did Balak do? He was looking for a power that could stand up against Moshe Rabbeinu and the Jewish people coming through the desert. He was afraid of that. But he thought he lived in a world where there were all sorts of powers that had the ability to protect, to defend, to override whatever was happening. So he said to Bilam ben Ba'or Petorah, and he said, you come and curse them. You come and speak to them because I have heard that the people you curse are cursed truly. That's what I want. And so Balak ben Sipor lived in that world, in the world of idolatry. In the world of idolatry, besides saying that I'm serving this idol, but it also says there's another power just around the corner. You just give a look and you're going to find it. So that's the mitchila of the Abu Dazarah that Yitziat Mitzrayim cured us of idolatry. didn't cure us of everything. It's not true that we were perfect, but we were not subject to idolatry. Don't ask about the golden calf. <laughs> right? I mean, we discussed it this way and that way. I mean, there's something to say. But that's the idea of the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim. Or, it all started from Abadim Hayinu, the way to, the way to our heart, so to speak, the way to deny idolatry is to come to the conclusion that there's only one real power. There's only one real power, and that the way to do that is to deny you any power. That's Avadim Hayinu, the power of Mitzrayim. We have no power. We are not able to do anything. And then suddenly, Moshe Rabbeinu, representing HaKadosh Baruch saves us from this. So when you go from zero to salvation, you understand, <coughs> you understand that, uh, 
that only God, only God is uh, is in charge of the world. Okay, that's not Chilvik Nutus Ayin Bishvat. We're up to uh, uh, up to Zion. Zion is uh, the last part of the story of Sipui Tziat Mitzrayim in terms of the text. Whoever didn't say these three things, this is Rabbi Gabriel, who says, He says, What did Rabbi Gabriel say? You know, every time when you do a mitzvah, just do the mitzvah. In order to make sure that you have kavanah, you say a bracha. You say a bracha, right? There's a mitzvah of eating matzah. So you say, I forget, the bracha says to me, I'm doing what the Torah demands of me. I'm not just eating a matzah. Why shake a lulav? means I know that I'm doing what the Torah wants me to do. That We call that kavanah. We call that kavanah. But on the night of Pesach, there is a special directive. Rabbi Gabriel said, it's reported in the Mishnah and explained in the Gemara and brought down in all of the versions of the Haggadah that we know of. It's not enough to do a mitzvah, the mitzvot. It's not enough to have kavanah. But you have to sit and learn them. Pesach, the Korban Pesach. You have to know what it is, why it is, where it is, how to do it. That's what Rabbi Gabriel says. Shalom Amar. What do you mean Shlo Amar? These are mitzvot, Pesach and Matzah and Maror. You don't Amar mitzvot, you do them. He says, no, no, no. Besides doing the mitzvot, you have to tell the children, the respondents, the people who are there at your Seder, what these mitzvot are. It's part of the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim. <coughs> so you see that the salvation I mean, this is what you're going to tell. You say the salvation of the Jews of Mitzrayim. What what did it produce? It produced mitzvot. Mm-hmm. And these are them. These are the mitzvot. And this idea was repeated, you know, on Purim. Purim, which Chazal say, that there was a Kabbalat Torah on Purim. Which Torah were they Mechabel? Which Torah were the Jews Mechabel? Well, the Torah of Sinai plus the mitzvot of Purim. Right? That was what distinguished Purim from Hanukkah, for example. That, the, that there's a book. Purim has a book. Hanukkah doesn't have a book. And in the book of Purim there are mitzvot. And those mitzvot, <coughs> those mitzvot in some way duplicate the idea of Yitzhak Mitzrayim which reduced mitzvot. So when you come to this part of the Haggadah, you can't just say Pesach Matzah Morrow. You have to say what it is. What is Korban Pesach? And what is it commemorated? And why is it there? And what's the connection? And what's the Pesach? What is all of that? What is all of that? And all of that is what we have to say on Pesach. That's Vav. Uh, I'm sorry, Zion. That's Zion. And now we're up to Chet. Now Chet is, uh, I mean... I will read Chet and we'll start from Chet next time. Chet is about the Sipur, the story that I tell on the night of the Seder. And it has this remarkable directive which appears also in the Mishnah and the Gemara and all the earlier versions. Call Misha uh, uh, Chet, I'm sorry. Bekol Dor Vador. 
חייב אדם להראות את עצמו כאילו הוא בעצמו יצא עתה משעבוד מצרים שנאמר ואותנו הוציא משם ועל דבר זה ציווה בתורה כלומר כאילו אתה בעצמך היית עבד ויצאת לחירות ונפדית So this is like a, like a very high level of self-delusion. I sit there and say, I say, me, me. I was the one who was Mitzrayim. I left Mitzrayim. I mean, somehow you have to understand within yourself that unlike, unlike, for example, Hanukkah. Hanukkah happened. Hanukkah happened when it happened. It was a great achievement. It was something worth repeating and talking about. It was certainly something worth saying Hallel and Allah Nisim about. But no one ever said that I want to run around like Yudah Maccabee, even though in modern times they, some people did say it. But really, the, the halacha does not reflect that idea that you're in Hanukkah, that you are fighting against the Greeks. But here, the storyteller Well, it's not a story unless it's a story about you, about me. That's the only story I can really tell. I don't know what happens to anybody else. But when I tell the story about me, it's got to be me and Yitzhak Mitzrayim. In other words, the world changed at Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And even though after Yitzhak Mitzrayim, there was, a, uh, there was another exile and another exile, and redemption and, and partial redemption... Right, that these things happened in history, but they didn't erase Yitziat Mitzrayim. Yitziat Mitzrayim produced a variance in our DNA. The capacity that we had after Yitziat Mitzrayim to serve God, to be with God, to look up at God as a unique, the unique God of the world, that changed within ourselves. We went through a long period of time when this was difficult. All of these things were difficult and finally we were released. And even though, even though we sinned and we did things that we should not have done, but somehow we see them as temporary lapses, otherwise we would have disappeared long ago. The only reason that we have for staying as we are through these thousands of years of diaspora life is because We know we, we, we will win at the end. I mean, we will come back at the end. We will be in public what we should be and what we are perhaps only in private in the, in the diaspora. So that we have to say to ourselves, <coughs> have to say to ourselves, Yitziat Mitzrayim is me. I'm the one who left Mitzrayim. That's the real story. The real story is not that there was such a thing, but that there was and there is are the same, right? There's a timelessness about it. So that ultimately, the Rambam said, the Mishnah says, that's the real story. Everything else is a peripheral. Everything else is, is there to help you to tell the real story, which is that I left Mitzrayim. So next week we will start from this halacha, the Rambam, and we'll talk about halal. We'll talk about halal, which is a very interesting uh, feature of the Seder, of the Seder night. So.